Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Appreciate this morning of that. First Corinthians chapter number 13, I want to read verse number 4 starting. The Bible says charity, which is basically love, suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, and whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Again, this morning, just continuing from last week, I want to talk to us today about what love looks like, what love looks like if you can just put your bibles down and pray right now with me father we come to you this morning god we're asking oh lord jesus for your help in this service god as we again turn our attention lord jesus toward this subject matter god of what love looks like i pray oh lord today god touch each and every individual under the sound of my voice help us today god as we look at your word and we study it and consider it i pray jesus you're able to give us lord jesus some direction and give us some help lord concerning our own lives and practicing lord this idea and this concept of love I pray God the love of God that it would be shed abroad Lord in our hearts as scripture says Lord we'll thank you and praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen amen Amen. you may be seated this morning in Jesus name what love looks like just to recap a little bit from last week but not to go through everything again the apostle Paul is addressing the Corinthian church because uh, they were a church that emphasized spiritual gifts words of wisdom and words of knowledge and all the nine spiritual gifts as a matter of fact uh, the opening uh, to the chapter of first Corinthians uh, the first chapter in verse number seven it indicates that the Corinthian church came behind in no gift and so they were very abundant in the spiritual gifts and practiced the spiritual gifts and so Paul does not want to disappoint them or discourage them in their use of the spiritual gifts and their pursuit of the spiritual gifts as a matter of fact he even encourages them in the 12th chapter of this book he encourages them to cover earnestly the best gifts and so he, he is is a strong supporter and encourager of them using them as they should and, and earnestly just covet the best gifts even if you are to have them uh, he says in those best gifts no doubt as we if we were to look at the gifts were those gifts that were given to edification those that gave edification to the believers and edification to the church However, in the same breath that he encourages them uh, to covet the best gifts, he also cautions them. Uh, Obtain all of the spiritual gifts that you can get your hands on and use them wonderfully and edify the church and the believers by doing so and non-believers alike. He says, but more than anything, I want to share with you, he told him in verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, I want to share with you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way that Paul was referring to was love. Because using 
of emptiness and could possibly be potentially harmful for those who were operating in them and those who uh, were being supposedly edified by them. He said the gifts of the Spirit, he said they have to operate, if you will, through the fruits of the Spirit, starting namely with the first fruit, and that is love. Amen. And so it's in the Scripture setting uh, that I read to you that we see that we're trying to see what love looks like, not in theory, not on paper, but what love looks like in practice. We're exploring the agape, what's known as the agape love of God. And as we defined that last week, that is a love that is caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good, not of the one who is loving, not of yourself, but of the one who is being loved. Last week we left off in verse number 5. We were left off talking about how charity or love doth not behave itself unseemly. Or in other words, it doesn't act unbecomingly. Love is not rude. Love has some manners. Love has some manners. Uh, it's courteous. It's polite. Uh, it's sensitive to the feelings of others. I mentioned last week that old term uh, that maybe is lost somewhere in modern day society. Love has tact. Love has tact. It's an old concept, but it has tact. Uh, Charles Swindoll, in his book uh, entitled Man to Man, he said, perhaps you heard about the husband, he said, who lacked tact. He said, early one morning his wife left for a trip abroad. That very day their poodle died. So when she called home that evening, she asked how everything was, and he bluntly blurted out, well, the dog died. Shocked, she chided him through tears for being so tactless and so strong. He says, well, what should have I said? And he, she said, well, you should have broken the news gently, perhaps in stages to me about the death of our pet. Whenever I called you from New York, you should have said the dog is on the roof. He said, the next day, whenever I called you from London, you should have told me that the dog fell from the roof. Whenever I call you the next day from Paris, you could have said that the dog is at the vets. He's in the hospital. And whenever I finally called you from Rome, you could have informed me that the dog died. And so the husband kind of sat back and paused and thought on that advice for a moment. And then his wife asked, by the way, how is mother? He said, well, she's on the roof. <laughs> Tact. Being, having the ability to say something and still not twist the facts, not have some facts absent from that, but being able to say something and still be able to safeguard a person's spirit, a person's esteem, a person's reputation. One man said years ago as a young boy that uh, he used to sell shoes and with a twinkle in his eye, his employer told him not to tell a lady that your foot is too big for this shoe. He said, instead, remember to say, I'm sorry, ma'am, this shoe is just a little too small for your foot. Exactly the same thing is illustrated, but that lady's going to feel a whole lot better about her size 12. <laughs> Amen. Just changing the words, using it just a little differently. Love, the Bible says in verse 5, seeketh not her own. Love is not selfish. Love doesn't make any demands of rights or their own rights. Love, uh, if you will, uh, when we consider the idea of selfishness, uh, the parent, selfishness is a child whose parent is pride. Selfishness' parent is pride. 
which is the root, sad to say, of the human race, including us today. Uh, love doesn't have the it's my way or the highway type of attitude. Alan Redpath said, he said, the secret of every discord in Christian homes and communities and even churches, he says, is that we seek our own way and our own glory rather than one another. And that's good advice. And that's a good quote. And it's biblically based. And I've said before, but I feel like bringing it up again this morning in Proverbs 13 and verse 10, the Bible states these words. It says, only, everybody say only. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Now, I've said this before, but I believe it bears repeating. The scripture says only. There's not much you can get around that word. Only is only. It's solitary, it's solitude, it's one, it's singular. Only by pride cometh contention. So the source of contentions and discords and quarrels and squabbles and arguments and disputes, whether it be in marriages or in homes or in churches or among other people, its source is pride. Because only by pride cometh contentions. You understand that. We understand that. Because if there is a quarrel, usually it's somebody trying to defend their right. Is that not true? Trying to defend their opinion or so on and so forth whenever there's a quarrel. And that comes from pride. Amen. It's the only thing that breeds contention in our lives. Pride is. So uh, if there's contention going on, there's a quarrel, all you got to do is find where pride's laying because that's where it begins. That's where it comes from. That, that, that's where it is birthed from. Amen. So there's no other options according to the book of Proverbs. There's no other ways except by pride. Uh, Jesus as our example, or at least that we should try to pattern our life after, the Bible says Jesus, our example, did not come to be ministered unto, he told us in Mark 10, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so whenever Christ came down, he didn't get to see where all the different people he could go and get lunch there because he was the great healer and miracle worker. No, he came to see if he could minister to them and even lay down his life, amen, for a ransom for many. And that is what love is all about. It doesn't seek his own. And so the one that we pattern life out, which shows the greatest example of love, shows us that his love was given his life, offering something, being a giver rather than a taker. I have oftentimes said, and I try to stand by this to this day, that even as a church, I want to be viewed more as a giver than a taker. Uh, I know sometimes we have things, we have car washes just based upon donation, but I try not to just have a bunch of baked cells and peanut brittle and all that. All that's fine and well, but whenever you're seen through the eyes of your community as always with your hand out, amen, to receive rather than to give, I think we're somehow missing up the model of who Christ is. Amen. Amen, because he come to give. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot was once speaking on the, this particular subject matter to an audience that included some young children that were sitting right in front of her. And as she spoke, she wondered how she could make this point very plain unto those children so that, that even they might understand and be able to apply it even in their lives as kids. And later she got a letter from one of those children uh, and it was a six-year-old boy, and he wrote, he says, I'm learning to lay down my life for my little sister, he said. Now, this is, this is just honorable. He says, she has to take a nap in the afternoon. He says, I don't have to take a nap, but she can't go to sleep unless I come and lay down beside her. 
He says, so I lay down with my little sister every day. There's a little boy there that's learning to love. Now, let me tell you, if I'm a six-year-old boy and I don't have to go to nap time, I'm going to be with my cars and trucks. I'm going to be swinging from the tire that's in the tree. But that's what love says. Love says, I'm not looking at what I get out of this. I'm not looking what I get out of this. I'm looking what I can offer with no strings attached. This is not like an IOU later for them. to. It's not a scratch my back, you scratch. No, no, no. I scratch yours, you scratch mine. No. Love says I'm not looking at it like that. It seeketh not her own. Also in verse number five, the Bible says that love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked. The word provoked in the Greek means to sharpen, stimulate, or rouse to anger. Uh, the, the Phillips transla- translation of the Bible, it's actually a paraphrase, says that love is not touchy. <laughs> We're not talking about love a dovey touchy. We're talking about easily set off, irritated, irritable. Amen. And it's important to know in these, in these scriptures because we're, we're, we're learning about all these things that love is not. That word not pops up. And, and of every single case here in 1 Corinthians 13 in the verses of scripture that we read this morning where the word not is used, it is the strongest Greek word that can be used to signify that it's objective to it, it will not absolutely know. It's the greatest degree that can be used in the Greek language. Love does not or is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. Amen. Sometimes we say we lost our temper. As many people say, no, that's when you found it. Amen. (laughs) Amen. That's where we found it. Paul says love is never provoked or exasperated. Amen. It is evident that this particular facet of love, amen, needed to be addressed with the Corinthian church. This is who Paul's speaking to, the Corinthian church. Because in 1 Corinthians 6, that particular chapter, we're reading that Paul is dealing with a problem. And the problem is the Corinthian church are having difficulties with their brothers within the church, but rather than coming to some type of resolution, they're taking their brother and sisters to court with lawsuits. You can read it. First Corinthians 6, they, they, are, they are quick trigger lawsuit people, the first Corinthian church was. And they're taking their brothers and sisters with these eels to court and to law. They were, if you could say, easily provoked <laughs> at the drop of a hat. Well, I'll sue you. Yeah, and so they were finding themselves in court. And so Paul, this, this concept or facet of love really needed to be addressed to the Corinthian church. Amen. Because they're constantly taking their brothers and sisters to the court system with lawsuits. Love is not easily provoked, all right? Uh, guys, don't, don't get your satchel ready yet and get your guy in the suit and a tie yet and go and make your objections. Love is not easily provoked. Amen. Not easily provoked. Great, great colonial preacher, the theologian Jonathan Edwards, had a daughter with an uncontrollable temper. Now, nobody start putting names through your mind right now. And when a young man fell in love with her, he asked her father for her hand in marriage. Dr. Edwards replied, you can't have her. A young man said, well, I love her. She loves me, he protested. That father said, it doesn't matter. Young man asked, why? Why not? Her father said, because she is not worthy of you. But she's a Christian, isn't she? The young man says. Yes, said Edwards. 
But the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. Woo. Love is not easily provoked. Thank God we have a Savior that can illustrate such a love and a kindness and compassion whenever we fall short on our end of love and compassion. I agree that there's times in my life probably God's the only one that can put up with me. Amen. I agree that there's sometimes we probably find ourselves in a fix. Thank the Lord for his love because it's probably the only love we're receiving at that particular period of time. Amen. Is the love of God. The Bible tells us in that fifth verse as well that love or charity thinketh no evil. And the word that is used there in the Greek for thinketh is translated as a bookkeeping term. In other words, love is not keeping an account of wrongs or rights. Love accounteth no evil. Oh, that's a big one. Because sometimes we assume the office of the accountant in life. And we know how many times so-and-so has done ill to us. As a matter of fact, when they do ill to us again, all that does is bring up the memory and we pull out the record. This isn't the only time that such and such has done such and such. From my understanding, the word that is used here, the purpose of this particular account, the purpose of the entry, listen, is to make a permanent record that can be consulted whenever needed. A permanent record. Love doesn't have that type or should not have that type of... Let me say it like, love keeps sloppy records. I know we admonish people keep good records. You want to have good checkbook, you know, your, your, your credits and your debits and all that and reconcile, have that. Love is sloppy. Love doesn't know where it's at. Love is sloppy with its records. It doesn't tabulate every credit, nor does it tabulate every debit. It just keeps and keeps giving. <laughs> that is love. Amen. Someone say love. love. For the married man... As he said to his friend, he said, you know, every time my wife and I get into a conflict, she gets historical. The man said, don't you mean hysterical? He says, no, I mean historical. She rehearses everything I've done wrong in the whole history of our marriage. Now, folks, that's keeping score. That's keeping score. That's what love should not be doing. <laughs> Someone say amen. amen. Now, no one use that story, please, the next time in your, you're getting historical. Please do not do that. This is not ammunition for the gun this morning by, own, by any means. Love goes beyond. We have the cliche as Americans. We have cliche as a church sometimes. Well, you know, we're just going to forgive and we're going to forget. That's a common cliche. Forgive and forget. Well, love does something even harder than that. Love remembers and forgives. <laughs> love remembers what happened and then it, 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 it consciously forgives. In verse number six this morning, love, it says, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. As another version puts it, love is never glad when others go wrong. Love doesn't look and say, well, 
you know, you're, if, if this statement comes, it's probably because you're the accountant on the one prior. They finally got what they deserved. Well, how could you say that if you weren't keeping records? <laughs> they, they finally got what they... Love doesn't rejoice in the wrong or the iniquity, if you will, of another whenever they fall. Whenever they stub their foot, although they may, man, they're just a, a pool of wickedness. I'm, <laughs> I tell you what, it just finally came around and bit them, didn't it? No, 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 no. no, no. Love, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It, it, love doesn't, we can say it like this, love doesn't even try to justify iniquity. It doesn't try to make wrong appear to be right or right to appear to be wrong. It doesn't take God's righteousness and, and, and put a, it, it, it tries to deal with people in such a way that if they fall that, that is not a rejoicing of heart that's a woe is me I hate and I'm so sorry that that happened or that took place uh, in Isaiah's day he was dealing with the people that was trying to turn God's righteousness upside down in Isaiah's day in so much that in Isaiah 5 and verse number 20 the Bible speaks this he said woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They, they kind of just turned the, the righteousness of God upside down there. And then Paul comes in the New Testament Scripture and he's dealing with the same malicious spirit in the New Testament Scripture of 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 11. And he says, For this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Verse 12, That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure... He said there was a segment of society and people that had pleasure in unrighteousness. Well, that, that's not love. Love isn't comfortable. Love shouldn't be comfortable with living unrighteousness and still having a facade of love. Amen. He, he switches the emphasis up here. Paul's been telling them, uh, he's been telling them what love is not. Been telling them what love is not, 1 Corinthians 13, what love does not do, but notice he switches now. He tells them what love is. He tells them the positive sides of love. Love doesn't do this, this, and this. Now he tells them, but this is what love does do. Love rejoices in the truth. So there is a fine balance with love. Although love is kind, that we've already seen early in the scriptures, although love is kind, love does, and it overlooks, go a little further, love's kind, it overlooks faults, and it overlooks failures of others. Love does not compromise the truth. There is a balance of love. This is what love is not. Love is kind, love overlooks the faults, but not to uh, 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 the place of compromising truth or taking a soft view uh, of sin. He says, their love right here rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. John the Beloved wrote in 3 John, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, that they would walk in truth. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, love beareth all things. Love beareth, everybody say beareth, all things. Vine's Dictionary says that the verb to bear signifies that what is mentioned, love that is, either supports, listen, love either supports what is placed upon it or it covers what is placed underneath it. Uh -huh. 
Love bears all things. It's either supporting what's placed on top of it or it covers what is placed underneath it. It bears. Amen. It bears. It, it, it keeps something undesirable from coming in like water that would come into a ship. You don't want that to happen. It, it, it covers. Love does not broadcast problems to everyone. What's that? That's love covering what's placed underneath it. Love is not a broadcaster of the negative and the bad news or problems or difficulties or hang-ups or failures of other people. Love, that's not love. Love is not the one that's running down the others with jokes and sarcasms and put-downs. That's not love. Love's covering. Love's covering. Love, love defends the character of other people and as much as possible within the limits of truth. Love protects the character of the other. Love doesn't make any lies about weaknesses. Love doesn't deliberately expose and emphasize weaknesses. Love protects. Is there any mothers here? Love protects. Amen. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. What they do? They covered themselves with the fig leaves. They heard the voice of God. Evidently, they felt like they didn't have sufficient covering because the Bible says they hid themselves among the trees when they heard the voice of the Lord. But whenever God found them, what's he do? Sacrifices a blood sacrifice, an animal. He puts skins upon them and he covers them through that sacrificial offering, if you will, of love. Amen. It covered their nakedness. It covered, amen, their nakedness, which was nothing more but then something that was going to prefigure what was going to happen in the New Testament Scripture. Whenever Christ shed blood, His shed blood would become a covering for you and I and humanity in our fallen state. Years ago, whenever I evangelized, I preached a sermon called The Ultimate Cover-Up. And I use this particular verse of Proverbs 17 and verse 9. The Bible says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. I said that years ago because if someone's trying to hide their wrongs and their ills and they're trying to duck down behind something, trying to cover it up, what they seek is love. Why? Because love has the ability of covering the ill but still yet dealing with the ill. Amen. Concerning Christ's blood, amen, the blood doesn't just cover the sin. The blood remits. That's the type of covering I'm talking about, love. It's not love that just covers for the sake of covering and ignoring the wrong or ignoring, if you will, the infraction. No, no, no. Love takes care of covering the wrong and dealing with the wrong. The blood of Christ took care of covering the sin and also remitting the sin. That's the type of love. It's the type of love that I'm talking about here today. The Bible also says in Proverbs 10 and verse 12, another scripture I used there many years ago, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. He doesn't start breaking down the classifications, you know, that it would cover and the others that it would not, the exceptions, you got to have something else for this. No, 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 no. Love covereth all sins. Love is that garment on the shoulders of Shem and Japheth as they walk in backwards to their father Noah who became drunk on his own vineyard 
and he's naked there in his tent. Love is the garment on those two boys' shoulders as they walk in backwards. And they do what? They cover up their, their father. Amen. So that he would not just be lying there in his nakedness and in his drunkenness. Amen. Love covers. Verse number 8 today. Charity or love believeth, believeth all things. I'm in verse number 7, sorry. Believeth, I think still yet. Believeth all things unless I've skipped around. Amen. It bears all things. We got that. It endures all things. Amen. It believeth. Verse 7. It believeth all things. Love believes a person. Here, our court, you know, the court says today, you are guilty until proven innocent. Love believes you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Love gives people the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't, it doesn't want to seek out some undue suspicion where there is any element of doubt as to the real intention love decides to regard it as good and honest. In other words, you've ever seen someone do something, and maybe because you do know some of their history, I don't know, you already start it on the surface that looks like a good deed, but you know who they are. <laughs> their motive's impure. Love doesn't go into the suspicious areas. Love just takes it as it is on the surface. How can it do that? Well, it's not keeping accounting for one. Uh-huh. It's not keeping account of all the other times they did do things for wrong motives. It's just taking it whatever it is on the surface. It's not trying to be suspicious. Well, yeah, they did that, but. Oh, this is hard. This is hard. He says love. Love is not trying to, trying to take a good, honest thing on the surface and turn it into something else. It, believe it, it's just going to believe it as it is. Just going to take it for what it is worth. William Barclay wrote, he said, this characteristic has a twofold aspect. He said, in relation to God, it means that love takes God at his word. Believeth all things. Love takes God at his word. And can take every promise which begins with whosoever and say, that means me. Just, just take God at his word. He said, you could have it, you can have it. Now, don't try to get suspicious about what God said. Amen. Just take it as it is. But secondly, in relation to our fellow men, it means that love always believes the best about the other before we would believe the worst about the other. Amen. In verse number 7, the Bible says, Love hopeth all things. Love hopeth. Love is not pessimistic. Love is not pessimistic. Now, love doesn't ignore reality, but it views that reality through the lens of possibility with God. A lens of hope. Amen. Love does that. I guarantee you, pastor just lost his wife here this week. That family was not detaching from reality whenever they were still viewing through the lens of hope that God would keep her alive. Hope will hope till the very end, till there's no alteration or change. Love, love, that type of love will do that type of thing. It, it will just love and it will hope all things even until the end. It will hold on to a hope until all possibility of such positive has just been banished 
and taken from the scene. There was a dog, from my understanding and reading, that stayed at the airport of a large city for over five years, reporters say. That dog stayed at the airport, waiting for his master to return. Employees and others of the airport fed the dog, took care of the dog. He would not let dog, would not leave the spot where it last saw his master. He would not give up hope that someday they would reunite. Evidently something happened. His master never returned. But from the spot that he last saw him, he wasn't going to give up that spot because he always was holding on to hope. Now, folks, if a dog's love, if a dog's love can do, have that kind of hope for his master, how much longer shall our hope? Call me, a, call it puppy love, folks. But he left, and I'm just still here hoping that from the same place he left from, I'm going to be reunited. Hey man, call it puppy love if you want to, but I believe, I hope, I have confidence that it can and shall, amen, happen. Verse 8, boy, this is a big net to cast right here in verse number, sorry, verse number 7. Love or charity endureth all things. Endure all things. It's a military term, a military word, meaning to... It sustained the, the assault of an enemy. Love hangs in there. Love hangs in there. And so there is a constant repetition here in the scriptures, particularly of the last four phrases here. It's love something, all things, all things, all things. We see these words, this group together, all things, all things. Paul didn't leave any wiggle worm. Wiggle worm. Wiggle room. <laughs> Get the worm out in the room in. He didn't leave any wiggle. <laughs> I might throw the adjective wiggle out. Room. Amen. And so whenever we read this as Christians, we, we read this as humanity, glorified dirt bags, which what, that's what we are. Amen. That's right. You, Adam was made of the dust. Uh, at best, you're a glorified dirt bag. I'm sorry to lower your self-esteem today. That's not my purpose. But whenever we read those verses concerning love, we can start reading those and we step back and think, man, I'm a total failure at this thing called love, this idea, this concept called love. I'm a total failure. I, I cannot accomplish this. I can't accomplish any of these characteristics of love. I can't do this. And the reality of the whole thing is right. You can't do any of this. But what we must learn to do is subject ourselves to God. Mm-hmm subject ourselves to God so what? so that he can exercise his love through us because yes when I read this I can't do this I can't accomplish this but if I can subject myself to God he can operate with his love through me and the moments in time when that happens we see this list being fulfilled in our lives we see the glorified dirtbag having a Christ love because it's his love that's operating through us. Operate independent of him, failure can't be accomplished. With him, you can do it. Amen, because he'll do it through you. The Bible says, verse number uh, eight, charity never faileth. 
Never fail. The Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 7, speaks these words. Many waters cannot quench, which basically means extinguish love. Neither can the floods drown. In other words, overwhelm or sweep away love. It cannot do that. If a man would give all his substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. In other words, it would be hated. It would be scorned. Amen. Because love, or perhaps the object of love, the object of love would feel hated and scorned if one thought they could buy it with things, with possessions. It's not on the market for trading with, for, you know, that happens in society. People are trying to buy love in, in, in relationships between parents and children and between husbands and wives, amen, because they're purchasing them things. Purchase, purchase you a new ring or a new car or a new house or get the kids the latest game or, or so on and so forth. What are they doing? They're supposedly trying to love their kids. I would be insulted to think that my mom or my dad or my wife would be able to give me things in order to win love, amen. What am I, just something out there on the market? No, 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 I'm an individual. I've been made in the image of God. Amen. The love, it should not be a transition of things and substance in order. It's working for some, but let me tell you, that's a very low base type of love to try to reach for. Amen. Well, glory. Bible, this idea when we, you know, let God work through us. His love, let it work through us. And there's a reason being, because it's just not that God loves. It's not just a, it's just not a characteristic of God. God is, New Testament tells us, love. It's not that he just has love. He is love. So the eternity, if you will, the dependability of love is fixed upon the eternity and the dependability of God. Uh-huh. It's fixed upon God. Love never fails. Because God never fails. Uh-huh. Go back, if you will, and let me look at the verses of Scripture again, starting with verse number 4. If God is love, God suffereth long. God is kind. God envieth not. God vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up. God doth not behave itself unseemly. God does not seek his own. God is not easily provoked. God thinketh no evil. Rejoice. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. God bears all things, believe all things, hopeth all things. God endures all things. God never fails. How, how does love have all that? Because God is love. And the only reason love is secure is because the one who love is, is secure. Our dependability on love is really a dependability and reality upon God. Amen. <sighs> he never, never fails. If you'll stand with me this morning. And so whenever the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, they have all these gifts, and he says, well, let me introduce to you the more excellent way, the more excellent way in relationship to the spiritual gifts. That more excellent way is love. Paul then goes ahead in chapter number 14 of 1 Corinthians and gives this admonition. He says, follow after charity. He said, and desire spiritual gifts. He says, crave spiritual gifts, 
have a desire and a want for spiritual gifts, he says, but follow. He says, if you're going to pursue something, going to pursue something, he says, pursue love. He said, don't get it backwards. Don't just crave love and pursue spiritual gifts. No, no, no. Let there always be a craving and a want for the spiritual gifts. He said, but let your pursuit be toward love. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads in this place this morning? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.